morning. You may find our seats. We'll get started. As you're finding your seats, if you could turn to Exodus chapter 24. Again, that's Exodus chapter 24. Uh, next Sunday, as you have heard a couple times already, is uh, uh, Christmas. Obviously, we're going to have a service, though, at 11 o'clock, and uh, we'll have a Christmas um, kind of sermonette for uh, uh, Christmas Day. Uh, today, we're going to be in Exodus, and there'll be a tie-in to the coming of Christ towards the end of the sermon today, so somewhat Christmas. But if you would stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Exodus 24, verse 1. And he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, and Aaron, and Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, as we get closer to Christmas and celebrate the coming of your Son, Lord, we uh, glorify you and worship you for your goodness, for your grace, for your awesomeness, holiness, Lord. God, I thank you for uh, the worship this morning, watching um, the children, Lord, of our church, Lord, seeing those important words, God, that praise and honor you, Lord. What a reminder of your beauty, your goodness, Lord. God, I pray this morning as we go through this text, Lord, that we learn uh, all those sayings, God, just how awesome you are and that uh, you're good and gracious, Lord, but also, Lord, how uh, Exodus points us forward, Lord, to your Son and what he did on the cross, Lord, that because of him, Lord, we are a part of a, a better covenant, Lord, a covenant Lord, that uh, is sealed in your son's blood, Lord. And so, God, I pray this morning, Lord, be with us as we walk through this text, Lord. I thank you for you, in your son's name. Amen. Uh, I know what some of you are thinking as I have read these two verses. Um, only two verses? We're never going to get through the book of Exodus. Now, actually, today I want to walk through the entire chapter, Exodus chapter 24. I just read the first two verses this morning because it, it really is an introduction to the entire chapter and, and somewhat of an outline of the chapter. And so it, it kind of sets us up for, for chapter 24. But before we even get there, I want to do just kind of a really quick review uh, trying to grab the near context of chapter 24 before we walk through it, because it's been a while since we've been in the narrative of the book of Exodus. We've been in the law for a while. Uh, we were in the Ten Commandments for, for a long time this summer, and it's been a while since we've been in the narrative. We have come out of the book of the covenant, the law, and, and jumping back into what's going on around my, Mount Sinai. So if you would, we're going to be back in, in chapter 24 real shortly here, but if you would just turn to Exodus chapter 19 and and let's get a quick review of where we're at, an overview. Chapter 19, Moses and the Israelites, this is after exiting and coming out of um, uh, the Red Sea, out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness for a time, and then they come to the mountain of the Lord, which is Mount Sinai, and they encamp before this mountain. In Exodus 19, God starts to get the Israelites prepared for his descending on the mountain. And he does this in a number of ways, but one of the ways that I want to point out in Exodus 19 is that he set up boundaries around the mountain that the people of Israel, God's people, were not allowed to cross lest they die. There was boundaries around the mountain to protect them from God's holy presence as he descended on the mountain of Mount Sinai. And we talked about this when we were in Exodus 19, that his presence was both terrifying and dangerous. It's one of the reasons for these boundaries. In fact, if you would look at verse 18, Exodus 19, verse 18, it says this, Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The mountain, this mountain is the Israelites are at the bottom, encamped at the bottom, looking up 
the top of the mountain was on fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a, a kiln. In other words, Moses is describing something like a volcanic eruption from this mountain. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. The presence of the Lord was equated to, to a, a, a volcano or a, a great earthquake as the, the whole mountain trembled greatly. In verse 19, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. That's going to be important as we will see. The top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up or ascended up the mountain. God descended to the top of the mountain, and Moses ascended to the top of the mountain, and smoke and fire and thunder and lightning. This is a terrifying God that has descended on the mountain. In chapter 19, God not only descends on the mountain, but what he does is start the process of entering into a covenant with the Israelites, with his people, entering into a covenant with Israel. In chapter 20, which we spent all summer walking through the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Commandments. Chapters 21 through 23, what we've been spending a, a number of weeks on, is the book of the covenant, right? The application of the Ten Commandments in particular laws. These two things put together, chapter 20, 21 through 23, the Ten Commandments and the book, to, book of the covenant are the stipulations of the covenant is what Israel is promising to keep as they enter into a covenant with Yahweh, with the Lord. So if we would turn back to uh, Exodus chapter 24, this gets us to Exodus chapter 24, which if you understand what's going on, it's the end of this process of entering into a covenant. It's actually a ceremony. Exodus chapter 24 is a ceremony to ratify the covenant or to seal the covenant or to make the covenant official between God and Israel. That makes uh, chapter 24 an extremely important chapter, and it's really the end of what started in chapter 19, Israel entering into a covenant with the Lord. So if you would, look at verses 1 and 2 again. Verse 1, Exodus 24, verse 1 says this, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord. You, and Aaron, and Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the other shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Now in these two verses, we th see three groups of people. You have just the people, generically Israel, at the end of verse 2. Right? In the middle of these two verses, we see Aaron his sons, his two eldest sons, Aaron, his sons, and the 70 elders. And finally, we have Moses, three different groups of people. And these three different groups of people end up being the three main parts of the passage or the whole chapter, Exodus 24. You have the people, and I want you to visualize this as we walk through the chapter. The people at the bottom of this mass mountain. You have the elders who are invited to come halfway up the mountain. Right? Aaron and his sons and the elders, halfway up the mountain. And then you have Moses, who is called to come up to the very top of the mountain where God's presence is. So let's walk through chapter 24. That's going to be kind of our three parts of this, this chapter. You have the people, the elders, and Moses. So let's start with the people at the bottom of the mountain. Look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Now, all the words is probably referring to the Ten Commandments. They're often called in Scripture the Ten Words. All the rules is the Book of the Covenant. Again, Exodus 21 through 23. That's what it's called in the very first verse of Exodus 21. Therefore, the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant are the stipulations of the covenant Israel's about to enter into with Yahweh. Again, verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules— and the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Now, verse 4 is an important verse for a couple of reasons. First, it shows us how the, the book of Exodus got to us. Right? Moses is the inspired author 
of the book of Exodus, the second time in the book of Exodus, Moses said that he wrote down the words of the Lord. So this is how we got the story, the book, the inspired word of God in Exodus. But the second reason this is important is that that in major covenants made, especially between a king and their people or a different people, these covenants were always written down as a, as a written agreement between two parties, right? The king and the people. In this case, it's between God and Israel. Therefore, verse 4, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, it's really important to understand that this is starting the process of ratifying the covenant, making this covenant between God and Israel official. The 12 pillars represent the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning it just represents Israel. The altar at the foot of the mountain, again, I want you to picture this, is where sacrifices and offerings are made to Yahweh, to God, and really represent God. Therefore, verse Verse 5 says this, and he, this is Moses, he sent young men of the people of Israel and offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Now there's two different types of sacrifices talked about here. You have the burnt offering, sometimes called the whole burnt offering because the whole animal was, was sacrificed, the whole animal was burnt and offered to the Lord. And then you have the peace offering, and this is where the people would eat the meat of the animal. Right? They would eat it in fellowship, and so this is peace offering was sometimes called the fellowship offering. But what's important here is, is actually the covenantal ceremony, and I, and I want to point this out again. Israel and God are making this covenant official in chapter 24. It's the ratification of this covenant that was started in Exodus 19. This is clearly seen in verses 6 through 8. Let me just read these three verses, and then we'll kind of break them down afterwards. So look at verse 6. It says this. And Moses took half of the blood. This is from the sacrifices. He took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw it against the altar. Verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant. That's Exodus 21 through 23. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, this is the other half of the blood, he took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, there's three things that happen in this ceremony with the people. The first thing is verse 6. Moses took half the blood of the sacrifice and threw it against the altar. After he threw half the blood against the altar, again, which represented God, verse 7, he read the book of the covenant to the people, right? The stipulations of the covenant, what they're agreeing to as they make a covenant with the Lord. If it's like a wedding, it would be the vows, right? And the hearing of the people, and the people said, we will do it. Then verse 8 Moses took the rest of the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, again, this event is extremely important. It's extremely important in the book of Exodus, but really it's extremely important in the narrative or the meta narrative, the large story of Scripture as a whole. And to understand it, you really need to understand how ancient covenants work. Right? Especially ones that were sealed in blood. Not every covenant was sealed in blood, but the ones that were sealed in blood had a kind of a, a similar way of them working. If you would, turn to Genesis 15 real quick, because I want to show you what I mean in this. Genesis 15, we'll be back in Exodus 24 in a second, but Genesis 15, starting in verse 9. There's a number of covenants that are made in Scripture. Sometimes they're covenants between people, but there's a number of covenants that God makes with people throughout Scripture. And Genesis chapter 15 is one of them. This is one of the most famous covenants that God makes with one man, Abraham, who was Abram at this point. Verse 9 says, He, that's God, He said to him, to Abram, Bring me a heifer three years old, 
a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over against the other. Picture what's happening here. Abraham takes the animals. I think Abraham knew what he was doing at this point. He cut them in half, and he took the pieces of the animals, and he separated them. Let's skip down to verse 17. It says this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Now, this represents God. It's something like the the pillar of fire and smoke in Exodus. A flaming or a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, these animals that were cut in half and separated. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I give this land. That's the stipulations of the covenant. That's the promise made in this covenant that God made with Abraham. Right? What's going on here? What's up with the animals being cut in half? Well, God made a covenant with Abraham by cutting these animals in half, walking through them, and by walking through them, he was symbolizing what would happen or what should happen if you failed to keep the covenant. The death of these animals cut in two. In fact, we have evidence in ancient uh, covenant making that this was pretty common to cut animals in two and having the two parties walk through the animals saying, if I don't keep this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. It's interesting with this case, God makes a deep sleep fall on Abraham and he doesn't walk through the animals. Only God walks through the animals. It just becomes a promise to Abraham that his descendants will make it to the promised land one day. Often, covenants were sealed by blood, and we see this here. The the blood of a sacrifice, meaning uh, the consequences for breaking the covenant was death. That's how the covenant was made. Now turn back to Exodus 24, because we see something that's very similar going on. Moses took half the blood from the sacrifice, right, of the animals, took half the blood and sprinkled it on the altar, represented God. Then he took the other half of the blood and sprinkled it on the people. This symbolized a covenant being made between God and the people. That if either party broke the stipulations of the covenant, their very own blood shall be spilt. In other words, death for breaking the covenant. In other words, the blood of the covenant, right, held the threat of divine judgment for everyone or anyone who broke the covenant. This is why Moses rereads the book in between this ceremony. As he puts half the blood here, he reads the stipulations of the covenant, and then he puts half the blood on the people, right? He reminds them of the stipulations. The blood of the dead animals was a warning. But it wasn't just a warning. The blood also pointed Israel forward to the grace of God in the new covenant, where Jesus' own blood would be spilled on the cross, not because he broke the covenant. Instead, it was spilled on our behalf. In other words, Jesus took the penalty. His blood was spilled. He died in our place that we could live. This is why the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. It's through Jesus' blood that we are justified, redeemed, reconciled, and forgiven. It's through his blood that the new covenant was established. That's why Jesus said in Luke 22, 20, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Of course, I think most of us know this. We're going to see, right, very soon, in fact, in the book of Exodus, in fact, before Moses even has a chance to come down the mountain after this covenant is made, Israel is going to break the covenant they just entered into. They're going to worship a golden calf, a false god. Therefore, they deserve death. Just like the animal, their blood should be spilled. But here's where the good news comes in. 
God, of course, being all-knowing and sovereign, anticipates Israel's sin and points Israel forward to salvation in Jesus, who would be the one to establish a new covenant. He'd be the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant, one where he himself would take on the punishment of the covenant breakers. He would spill his own blood so that those within the new covenant would live. The blood, sprinkled, in other words, on the people was a warning, but it also pointed Israel forward to a new covenant and the atoning death of Christ. So this is the first part of our passage this morning, the people at the foot of the mountain. Again, this is, this is starting the ratification process of this covenant between God, Yahweh, and Israel. And this leads to the second part of the passage, the elders halfway up the mountain. So again, I want you to visualize this. You have the people at the bottom of the mountain making sacrifices. You have the elders halfway up the mountain. Again, look at verse 1 before we jump down to verse 9. Verse 1 says this, Then, then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. Now look down at verse 9. It says this, And then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, that's Aaron's two oldest sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. Those are two important words. They ascended. They went up. What's happening? Well, think about this. These men, these elders, Aaron and his two sons, these men crossed the boundaries set up in Exodus 19. These boundaries that that went around the mountain, they went up the mountain, they crossed the boundaries. The, The boundaries where God swore that if anyone crossed them, they would die. God is allowing these men to cross the boundaries, to to come up near the presence of the Lord. But, verse 2, and this is why I reread verse 2, says they worshipped from afar. They were only allowed to come up so far. Look at verse 10. This is amazing. Verse 10 says this, And they saw the God of Israel. Now, this is a remarkable verse, and, and verse 10, honestly, is one of those verses when you're doing your yearly reading through Scripture that you kind of just go over, but it's one of those verses that you should stop and think about. <laughs> they saw the God of Israel, let me just add this, and lived. <laughs> now, how they lived, I don't know. There's a mystery here. When Whenever a man sees God and somehow lives in Scripture, there's a mystery there because the Bible is super clear that no man can see God and live. We're going to see that in Exodus 33, verse 20. Yet somehow these men lived and saw God. Now, I think verse 10 actually gives us a clue. Let me read it. Listen to verse 10. It says this, And they saw the God of Israel There was under his feet, as it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness. In other words, whatever they saw, they they either couldn't explain it or couldn't look directly at it because they only described the pavement under God. (laughs) Again, verse 10, there, there was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone. That's what they described, the vision that they had, this, this view of God. In fact, when you do kind of a study of all the visions of God, especially in the Old Testament, th- this is actually very similar to, to the other visions. Uh, let me just give you an example. Listen to Isaiah 6. This is a famous vision uh, of God. Listen to how, how Isaiah describes the vision he has of God. Isaiah 6 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah has this vision of God. And listen to how he describes God. Sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. He describes what God is sitting on. He describes the throne, that this throne is high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, he, he's describing the robe that God is wearing, this glorious robe that fill, fills the entire temple. 
Verse 2 says, above him. Right? He's described what's below him. Now he's describing what's above him. Above him stood the seraphim, which are, which are angels. And I want you to hear how the details he gives to these angels that he describes. He, he says this, each had six wings, two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. A clear description of the angels, but he doesn't give a description of God at all. Again, this is something we see over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 1, we see Ezekiel having a vision of God, and it's a long, detailed uh, description of what Ezekiel sees, and he describes everything around God, but doesn't describe God. Meaning, God was either so far beyond description that, that these men don't even try to describe it in words, or... God was so glorious that they couldn't even look at him. Only saw the things around him. In fact, in Exodus, all they saw was his feet, meaning they were underneath him or they were bowing down at him. Either or, they just described the pavement that God was standing on. These visions are just a description of how awesome God truly is. And that's the point. Again, verse 10 says this. And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Now, when you see a phrase like the very heaven of clearness, you can, for clearness, you can assume that the Hebrew is hard to translate over to English. Because you're like, what does that mean? Uh, Heaven probably means sky, not heavens where angels are, but heaven where birds fly the sky. And this is probably a saying of something like a just extremely clear day. I mean, we've gone out those days where you drive around Tashby and you can just see the mountains and it's super clear. It's probably a metaphor of some sort just saying extremely clear. Right? So the pavement that was under God was just so clear, like the clearest day you've ever seen. Right? Verse 11, and he, God, he did not lay his hand on the chief men the people of Israel. This just means he didn't kill them. <laughs> he didn't lay his hand on him like he laid his hand on the Egyptians. Right? Why? Because they crossed the boundary. I mean, he promised anyone that crossed the boundary would, would be dead, but he allowed them to cross the boundary, and he did not lay his hand on these men of the people of Israel. Instead, look at the end, they beheld God and ate drink. Again, it's one of those verses that you read real quickly, but in other words, they had a meal with God. (laughs) They saw God. They were close to his presence, and they ate and drank at God's table. That's a pretty amazing verse. Now, why these details? What's going on here? Why would God invite these people up and, and have a meal with them? Well, remember what's going on here. It's, it's the ratification of a covenant, right? This is a ceremony to, to seal a covenant. After two parties enter into a covenant with each other, often, if not always, they symbolize friendship and alliance by eating a meal together. Right? We see this, again, even in Scripture. Let me give you two examples. We're going to be right back in Exodus 24, but turn to Genesis 26 real quick. Genesis 26, verse 27. Genesis 26, verse 27. Isaac said to them, Have you come to me seeing that you hate me? Uh, have, have sent me away from you? Or why have you come to me uh, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, right back to Isaac, we, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let, let there be a sworn pact between us. There's a covenant that's happening here, a sworn pact between the two of them. Between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. There's the stipulations of the covenant. This is the agreement that we have, that we won't do each other harm, that you will not do us harm. Just as we have not touched you or done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, 
you are now the blessed of the Lord. Again, they're making a covenant. Look at verse 30. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. It's the same phrase. They ate and drank together at a feast. These two parties that made a covenant with each other, they sealed it. They ratified it by sharing a meal together as a sign of friendship. They ate and drank. Now turn to Genesis 31. Genesis 31, verse 43. We see this again. This is a somewhat familiar story in Scripture. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this story with Jacob and his father-in-law who weren't on the friendliest of terms, and so they make a covenant with each other. Verse 43 says, And Laban uh, answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for those, my daughter, and for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant. Again, two men making a covenant with each other, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So look what Jacob does. Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. This is how you make covenants. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. They sealed this covenant with each other by eating together, by fellowshipping together, right? Eating together, especially in antiquity. Even today, this is, this is true, but especially in antiquity, to sit down at a table with someone was a sign of friendship, alliance, peace. And that's how you seal the covenant. We'll turn back to Exodus chapter 24. The end of verse 11, they beheld God and ate and drank. Israel, represented by the elders, right? These were the representations. That's why the 70 elders that represented the tribes and the people of Israel came up halfway up the mountain, right? Is now fellowshipping with God, having a meal at his table. They're sealing the, the covenant. I mean, verse 11 is a pretty amazing verse. Let me just reread it. It says this, and he, that's God, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, meaning he, he didn't kill them. He was merciful to, to them as they crossed the boundary. Instead, they beheld God. They saw God and ate and drank. They fellowshiped with him. They ate and drank with God at his table, celebrating this covenant that was made between God and and this people. In fact, this anticipates eternity. In eternity, we will have fellowship with God, and we will sit at his table and eat and fellowship. Again, this was the ratification in the Old Testament here. This was the ratification of the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Israel is now in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. The Mosaic covenant, again, this is what we call the Old Covenant brings us to the last part of the passage. This is Moses, who goes to the very top of the mountain. Moses at the very top of the mountain. Remember, the people, again, I want you to visualize this. The people are at the foot of the mountain. They made sacrifices, and then Moses took that blood, and he took half of it and sprinkled it on the altar, which represented God. He took the other half, sprinkled it on the people. Then Moses, Aaron, and his sons, and, and 70 elders went up the mountain, they stopped before the top because verse 2 says they worshiped from afar and made it very clear. But they beheld God and ate and drank. They ha had a feast. They ate with God, which sealed the covenant. Finally, Moses is called to the top of the mountain. Look at verse 12. So the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone. These are the Ten Commandments written in stone by God's very finger with the law and the uh, commandment which I have written for their instruction. Again, two stone tablets, right? Now, it's hard to tell the timetable here, but it seems like right, the, the feast is over with. This, this 
eating with God in verse 11. The covenant has been ratified. The ceremony is done, meaning Aaron, his sons, and the 70 elders are back with the people. And now Moses alone is being called to the very top of the mountain right, to receive these stone tablets. So look at verse 13. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, this is as he's going up, as he's leaving, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Now, it seems like Moses realized he was going to be gone for a while, so he leaves Aaron in charge as he leaves. He takes Moses, or Joshua with, with him. Again, it's kind of hard to tell, but if you put the, the whole narrative together at the end of this um, uh, whole uh, time in Exodus like uh, 30, as we get to the, the end of Moses coming down from, from the mountain, it seems like Joshua went up, but he only went up part way with Moses. Right? Moses alone went up into the mountain, the very top. Joshua will wait for Moses to come back down. Again, verse 15, it says this, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now we see the sixth and seventh day here, six days and then the seventh day. This points us back to creation. And it's going to be extremely important as we move on to the next chapter. Right? But what's happening here is Moses is now invited to the very top of the mountain where he's been before, in the presence of God and the presence of Yahweh. Right? Verse 17. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Now, just stop here again. Can you imagine this? The people are at the bottom of this mountain watching this all happen. Top of the mountain, there's a, a devouring fire or something that is like a devouring. This is the glory of the Lord on the top of the mountain, right? Like a volcano. That's what's described in, in Exodus 19. Verse 18 says, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain as the people watched. Moses slowly disappears into the cloud and the fire. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is just an amazing event. And part of me just wishes I could, could be there and see this whole thing. Part of me is like terrified to be there and see the whole thing. But what happened during this time, this 40 days and 40 nights? Well, Moses disappeared into the cloud and the fire, the presence of the Lord. Well, we're going to find out that God speaks to Moses. In fact, chapters 25 through 31 is the next chunk of Exodus that we'll be entering into. And, and Moses pretty much doesn't say a word that whole entire time. It's God who speaks. And again, this is super important. It, it harkens back to creation. God spoke. And God gives Moses instructions for the tabernacle. In fact, let me just give you a quick outline at the end of Exodus. Right, chapters 25, so starting in chapter 25 through 31, God speaks to Moses and gives all the instructions for building the tabernacle, which Moses is getting these 40 days and 40 nights. Chapters 35 through 40 is a detailed account of the construction of the tabernacle. Meaning, chapters 25 through 40, there's only 40 chapters in Exodus, chapters 25 through 40, just think about that, is mostly about the tabernacle majority of it. That, that's almost half the book of Exodus about the tabernacle. It tells you something. It tells you at least this. The tabernacle is extremely important. Which leads to a question, and for us New Testament believers in the church, the question is, why? Why is the tabernacle so important? Or maybe a better question, and maybe a few of you are asking this right now, what is the tabernacle? <laughs> What is that? Well, I want to answer that this morning. I want to answer this question. What is a tabernacle by reviewing the three parts of our passage this morning? Okay. Let me just kind of walk through what we've learned in chapter 20, 24. First, you have the people, and I want you to visualize this. The people at the, the foot of the mountain, of Mount Sinai, encamped around it. 
And right in front of the mountain was an altar where burnt offerings and peace offerings were sacrificed on this altar. On the other side of this altar were boundaries that were set up. These boundaries were set up and back in Exodus 19. Let me just read them. They weren't to cross these. Exodus 19, verse 12, it says this, and, and you should set limits, again, or boundaries. You should set limits for the people all around the mountain, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Right? There's these boundaries on the other side of the altar that the Israelites were not to cross. They were to stay at the foot of the mountain. The second part of our passage, we see Moses, Aaron, and his sons, and 70 elders cross these boundaries to fellowship with God. Exodus 24, 9 says this, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, meaning they went up the mountain, they ascended the mountain, they went through the boundaries about halfway up the mountain, and they saw the God of Israel, verse 11, and they, he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. In other words, he didn't kill these people. Instead, they beheld God and ate and drank. This is a huge privilege that these men got. They, they went up about halfway up the mountain and ate with God. They fellowshiped with God. But finally, we have Moses. Only Moses was allowed to come to the top of the mountain. Again, Exodus 24, verse 2 says, Moses alone shall come near or draw near to the Lord, but the others, that's Aaron and his sons, but the others shall not come near, and the people, the Israelites, and the people shall not come up with him. Only Moses was allowed to go to the top of the mountain where God's presence was found. Now, again, three parts of the passage, the people at the foot of the mountain, Aaron and his sons about halfway up the mountain, and Moses at the very top of the mountain. You know why this is important? Because it's the, it's the tabernacle. It's the tabernacle. The tabernacle was like a portable temple, but it had three parts. You had the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. The people were only allowed to go to the outer court of the tabernacle. It's where the altar was where they would sacrifice. They do the burnt offerings and peace offerings on, in the outer court of the uh, tabernacle, just like the foot of the mountain. In the middle of the court was what was called the holy place. It was a tent or a room where only the priests, right, Aaron's sons, were allowed to enter. Right? The holy place was set apart as holy because it was close to God's presence. Therefore, the people couldn't enter. There was boundaries, walls, and, and massive curtains that were set up, right, boundaries, and only the priests, Aaron's sons, again, were allowed to cross those boundaries and come closer to the presence of God. But there was another place, right, that not even the priests were allowed to go. The west end of the holy place was a smaller room called the Holy of Holies. And only one person can enter the Holy of Holies, the high priest, on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. Just like only one person could ascend to the top of the mountain, Moses. Now, this is pretty amazing when you think about it. This means that the tabernacle was not just a portable temple. The tabernacle was also a small, portable Mount Sinai that was right in the midst of the people as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years that eventually would enter into the promised land and become the temple of God. Meaning, God's awesome presence Right, that descended in, in Exodus 19, that was described as a massive volcano, as a fire, as a, as a great earthquake, as a massive thunder and lightning storm, the, a voice a, a, like a trumpet that grew louder and louder. This awesome and terrifying God whose presence was indescribable by the elders in Isaiah and Ezekiel. This God dwelt on earth with man, 
in the tabernacle. The portable Mount Sinai called the tabernacle. I mean, that's amazing. God is making a way to dwell with man again. I say again because this harps back, it points back to the garden. Where God dwelt with man in the garden. God once again will dwell with man in the middle of his people in the tabernacle. But there's one major problem. And that's verse 2 again. It says this, Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the other shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Okay, not even Aaron and his sons, the, the priests, not even the priests could draw near to God. In fact, after Moses dies, only one person, once a year, was allowed to draw near to God in the Holy of Holies, the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Meaning there's still a dilemma. God is dwelling with his people, which is a good thing. Again, it, it's a reminder of the garden. God is heading back to that direction. But there was still a separation between God and man because of sin. There were still boundaries. Therefore, if man was ever going to have a relationship with God, if man was ever going to be in true fellowship with God, eat with him at his table. For this to happen, sin must be dealt with. And this is where we find our tie into Christmas from the book of Exodus. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came as a man, taken on flesh, representing mankind, born in a manger, to be a greater Moses, to be a, a greater mediator between God and man, to be a greater high priest, to be a greater sacrifice, as we've seen throughout the book of Exodus. Jesus came to establish a greater covenant, a covenant where sin is dealt with through his own blood. And therefore, God's people are encouraged to draw near to God. Let me just ask a question. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? A number of things, but let me read Mark 15, 37. It says this, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The massive curtain the massive curtain that separated God's people from the Holy of Holies, God's presence, that, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Right? The boundaries that started all the way back in Exodus 19 around the mountains that the people were not to cross, that became a curtain, was torn in two. Now people have access to the Holy of Holies. Therefore, for those have put their faith in Christ, we now have access to God. I just imagine what the Israelites thought, man, if they, if they could read the New Testament and know that, that New Testament, New Covenant believers would be invited, in fact, encouraged, in fact, commanded to draw near to God's awesome presence, what they would think as they are looking at this mountain just on fire. <laughs> And we have that privilege because of Christ. The new covenant is so much better than the old. Let me just end by reading Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I've read this a number of times as we've gone through the book of Exodus, but, but again, I think these verses would have blown the Israelites away who witnessed Mount Sinai. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's amazing. Just like Moses drew near to the top of the mountain, the near to God's presence, we are commanded, encouraged to confidently draw near to God through Christ. It's amazing that we can come to you and pray and pray in your son's name and have the privilege to call you father to have a relationship with you as we go through the old testament lord and just see how difficult it was for the israelites to have a relationship with you lord for how dangerous it was for them to cross the boundaries to come too close to a holy god because they are sinners Yet we have the privilege of fellowshipping with you. The privilege of of knowing you intimately. The privilege of drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace because of your son, Lord. God, as Christmas comes, Lord, this next week and we celebrate the birth of your son, Lord, I pray that, that we don't forget, Lord, that Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew. He grew into a man. He was sinless. He lived a perfect life for us. He died on the cross for our sins because we are covenant breakers. He was raised on the third day. He sits at your right hand, and whoever puts their faith in him will have eternal life, will have fellowship with you. God, I pray that that's the message we hear clearly this Christmas. In your son's name, amen.